Horrific Network Entertainment. What is going on, gang? It is me, Jimmy. It is another episode of the Horrific Podcast. So stoked to have you on board for yet another one, man. Today's show, we are going to feature the John Murdy panel from Midsummer Scream. I know I said we'd get into the the sinister uh, interviews again, but those are going to uh, be put on hold for a little bit. Just because next week we'll get into the Knott's Berry Farm panel from Midsummer, Because I'm going to Knott's Berry Farm 50. I'm so excited. I will be there early October. Um, the 50th anniversary of Knott's Scary Farm. Haven't been to Scary Farm probably eight years. So I'm excited to finally go back. Always had a good time at Scary Farm. Always would pick HHN over. Now obviously been documented pretty well on our channel uh, my desire to just do Orlando instead of Hollywood um, or both. Save the Hollywood money to do other things. Case in point, this was a special thing. Not Scary Farm 50. Want to see what they have to offer and kind of live through some mistakes of not doing some of the Knott's mazes when I should have that are gone forever. So with that, uh, one of the early haunt season episodes will actually be a haunt, uh, not scary farm tribute show uh, with some of the past mazes that are no longer there in VR. Anyway, um, today you know Murdy gives a preview. This was the panel in which you know they discuss their uh, monsters maze, the monstros maze. Um, I don't think they announced Evil Dead Rise in that panel or Terratram, but those have since been announced as executioners um, and which giant sized bugs, bugs eating alive type vibe for Terratram this year. And uh, Evil Dead Rise is officially confirmed for HHN Hollywood. HHN Orlando, they did their Taste of Terror thing, seeing some of the food this week come out i haven't watched any of the video coverage from that event yet that's gonna run all month though did see the menu did see pictures of the food the last of us raviolis in the uh ration can love that love uh the look of some of the just like halloween treats like there's a candy bucket that's like a chocolate creme brulee with peanut butter like so it's definitely fall season, man. Today, upon my recording, I think is actually the first Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween party. And haunt season for us, you know, we're going to be releasing shows not every day of the week like we have in the past, more like a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday thing. But we are starting earlier than ever with uh, it starting in August into the first week, the first day of HHN, actually. We will release the third Haunt Season show. Anyway, yeah, 
other than that, horror, you know, movie-wise, just saw The Last Voyage of the Demeter last night. Thought it was good, kind of slow, could have been shorter, for sure. Um, but yeah, overall, a good movie. If they would have shortened that movie by, like, 20 minutes, it would have been very good. So, just a little long is the only problem I have with it. And which, you know, the members that didn't, you know, score it higher than it was scored, I would say that was the majority of their problem, too. Anyway, let's get into this John Murdy panel. Let's get into getting to uh, see everything here that he had to say at Midsummer Scream. somewhere in Dublin, you know, on Grafton Street. Um, everything we do, all the passion and the work we put into this event, it's all for you guys. So thank you for all your support, year after year after year, after year 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 after year. This is 17 years for me now. 18. 18 if you count 2020, which I do. We built it. Um, let's see. You know this, right? By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. How about an announcement right out of the gate? I have to ask you guys, did we announce anything when I was in the air? Because I was on a plane flight for like 11 hours. Did anything happen Friday? Three mazes on the same day? How about another one? But first... <laughs> but first, a history lesson. We've had a long history of creating original Latin American themed horror content with Halloween Horror Nights, right? back to 2010. That was the first year we did La Llorona as a scare zone. And then of course we had the La Llorona mazes 2011, 2012, 2013 we teamed up with Danny Trejo to do El Cacue. And then kind of the second phase began. We started working with Latin American film directors. It started with Robert Rodriguez on his TV series From Dust Till Dawn. And then um, Guillermo del Toro. 
doing Crimson Peak. And then seven years, <laughs> seven years went by where we didn't really do that. Um, you know, we moved on to other things. We started doing other opportunities. And then coming out of like, you know, 2021, um, I noticed the uh, plaza, the Universal Plaza, the way we themed that around Day of the Dead. And I noticed everybody inside it, and my brain, something in my brain just clicked that year, and I went, we gotta get back to this. This is what we should be doing. And so, last year, we brought back the Weeping Woman. Um, so it feels like it's time for something else. Um, The legends and myths of Latin America at Halloween Horror Nights continues with... Monstros, the monsters of Latin America. Study this real well, there's gonna be a quiz at the end, okay? So what is this? This is an all new haunted house that features three infamous Monsters, or Monstros, which is Spanish for Monsters, of Latin America. What's wrong with this picture? Somebody really screwed up. <laughs> I'm going to explain that in just a second. But um, this is something I want to do today. Uh, you know, I've been doing this show, as, as the team said, you know, I've been doing it every single year that there's been a Midsummer Scream and Scarlet before that. Um, so I'm always up here, I'm always the spokesperson for the event, I'm always doing all the media and the press, but the reality is there are hundreds, literally hundreds of talented men and women that work on this event, right? I don't create this by myself. It takes everybody's passion, everybody's hard work, everybody's dedication. So as we're going through this presentation today, and he wasn't kidding, I don't know how to edit, so <laughs> I was making this, you know, back in Ireland, and I was like, ah, it'd be cool to talk about that. Well, it'd be cool to talk about that, and I just went, you know what, I'm just, let's just go for it. Let's just put everything in it. But I did want to point out, um, right off the, the bat, right at the top of the presentation, um, uh, an individual named Rose Gonzalez. And Rose Gonzalez works with our marketing department. So, back in, um, back in 2010, when we first decided to do La Llorona, um, I'll be totally honest with you, I did not grow up with La Llorona. That's not a story I was told as a kid. Um, so I really needed to do my research. We take our research very, very, very seriously at Halloween Horror Nights, no matter what we're doing, whether it's a movie, a television show, original house, we do a ton of research. Um, but I've always used Rose as my touchstone for things that have to do with our Latin American houses. And, um, and now this year I've been working with um, University Studios Hollywood's DEI team. We'll give it up for them as well. Do you know what DEI stands for? Diversity, equity, inclusion. Should have been, should have been diversity, inclusion, equity, because then it would have been die, and that would have been a lot cooler for a horror event. But um, they've been a big help to me as well. Um, and you know, back when the days of La Llorona, we turned to our partners at Telemundo, we turned to actors, we worked with Diego Luna, and he helped us out with La Llorona. You know, when we were doing El Cucuy, it was Danny Trejo. So um, this team had a big impact on everything you're about to see, because I'm gonna walk you through a little bit of this house. Let's meet the monstros. 
We'll start with our first one, and this is, I'll give anybody a penny <laughs> if you can pronounce this name. Anybody? Talal Hupuchi. Talal Hupuchi. Um, this is a character that comes from the Tlaxcala region of Mexico, and it's really interesting because it's a witch, but it's also a vampire. And with any of these Latin American myths and legends, you know, they're all passed down orally for hundreds of years. In fact, Tlalapuchi, some people think the origins of the story go back to Aztec times. That's how old it is. But I'll give you the, the version that's the most common version, right? Because there are variations to the story. But in the most common version, anybody can be a Tlalapuchi. Could be you, could be you, could be you. Um, you don't know when you're a little kid that you're a Tlalapuchi until you reach like puberty and then things start to change as they do um, and you become aware that you are in fact a Tlalapuchi. So a Tlalapuchi has to do a very very specific ceremony and then it transforms into one of a series of animals. Uh, but the most common one is a turkey vulture and it flies to the house of its victim and it sucks the blood out of them. It doesn't bite them like a vampire, it sucks the blood through the skin, and it leaves these telltale bruises and markings. So Tlalapuchi is the first of our monsters. And I'll give you a little facts as we go along that came out of the research we did on this house. Um, you know, as late as the 1950s, there was a particular doctor in Mexico who was trying to figure out why the infant mortality rates were so high in this particular region where this story originates. And he noticed, he pulled all these death certificates and he was doing his research and he was studying and he noticed that cause of death, all the parents were writing on it, Tlalopuchi or witch. So that's what first brought this story to like larger attention. Um, the last known execution of a Tlalapuchi was 1973. Monsters are real. Let's meet our next one. Actually, let's take a look at the character design for Tlalapuchi. So this is our iteration of Tlalapuchi. We kind of have two different versions going on here. The one you see in the white dress, it's more pale skin. That's a brand new Tlalapuchi, just started feeding. The one you see in the red, that's a Tlalapuchi that's been around for a while and is ingested a lot of blood. And I should say there are male Tlalapuchis and there are female Tlalapuchis. But we're going with the female Tlalapuchis because they are stronger than the males. Girl dad. <laughs> um, our next monster is La Lechuza. Some of you were right on the internet. <laughs> Some of you, I think they're doing La Lechuza. I have no idea how you got that, but you were right. Um, La Lechuza, also known as the Owl Witch, okay? And this comes from all over Mexico, but it also comes from the southwestern United States, particularly Texas. And I'll give you again the most common iteration of the story. There's an old woman who lives in a village. She's the kind of old woman that, you know, people whisper about, and people become convinced that she's a witch, so they put her to death. But she comes back as La Lechuza. So she's a combination old woman, and a witch. And there's one particular thing the La Lechuza does that's extremely creepy. And again, you can go on the internet and read all about this. There's like endless Reddit pages about people's encounters with La Lechuzas. Um, but one thing that it does is late at night, if you're in your house and you hear a baby crying, don't go outside. 
Because the lava chusa can disguise its voice to sound like an infant crying. And then when you go out of the house to see what's going on, it swoops down and picks you up. Monstro fact. In 1975, a town in South Texas, and this is documented in the press, was terrorized by a lava chusa. People started seeing it. They saw it flying overhead. Um, they started calling into their local radio stations. There's even actually a song written about this that was released called Law of the Shusa. We're not using it in the house because it's kind of silly. But um, it was a huge big deal. And this is what they eventually found. Two boys, <laughs> two boys made this and stuck it up in a tree and they kept moving it around <laughs> into different trees. And this is a picture from the local newspaper when the police finally figured out what was going on. Best prank ever. I need to hire those two kids for Horror Nights. Because we did stuff like that when we were kids. Did you guys do stuff like this? We used to like rig dummies like, you know, through a tree and, and make it so somebody would be walking down the street late at night and it would just suddenly stand up right in front of them. Don't do that, by the way. <laughs> I remember being chased through a field by somebody when I was a kid. Um, but the weird thing about this story is, okay, so they saw it in a tree. It doesn't explain why so many people saw it flying overhead and they described it as this huge bird. So monsters are real. And this is our design for La Lechuza. And that brings us to our third and possibly last monster. And that is El Silbon. I bet you didn't figure this one out, right? Nobody? Okay. Uh, El Saban, which translates to the Whistler, is from the Los Llanos region of Colombia, Venezuela, and it's another great story. Uh, different iterations of the story, I'll give you the most common one. So there's a, a boy, which is really like a, you know, late teenager boy, uh, living on a farm, fairly well off. Um, he falls in love with a woman that the father does not approve of. The father tells him, get rid of this woman, but he's in love, and he doesn't get rid of him. So one day the father comes into the barn, and he catches the boy and the girl, and he flies into a rage, and he murders the girl. Kills her right in front of the son. The son flies into a rage and murders his father. And then granddad comes home, sees what's been done, and he takes the boy out to the field, ties him to a post, whips him repeatedly with a whip until the flesh falls off his back. Then he takes like limes and like tequila and pours it in the wounds. And if that wasn't bad enough, then he sets wild dogs upon him that rip him to shreds. And as this horribly mutilated guy is stumbling towards the woods, the grandfather comes up to him and hands him the sack of his father's bones, his murdered father's bones, and says, you are condemned for all time to carry the bones of your murdered father on your back. And he disappears into the woods and he's not seen again. And then eventually this creature comes out of the woods that is now known as El Saban. And it's a towering creature. Some say he's like 10, 12 feet tall, really, really skinny, carrying the bones of his murdered father on his back. And he's known for his distinctive whistle that kind of rises and falls. If you hear this whistle and it sounds far away, that means El Saban is actually really close. 
But if you hear the whistle and it sounds close, that actually means he's far away. So we'll give you a monstro fact about El Saban. Aside from the distinctive whistle that gives him his name, uh, he is set to prey primarily on womanizers. And drunks. You're all screwed. <laughs> You're not making it out of this haunted house, apparently. All right, let's take a look at our design for El Saban. So obviously we're, we're doing him as a still walker in key scenes. Um, and let's get into some environments and the inspiration for said environments. And again, um, I'm going to do some team member appreciation. My longtime creative partner on Halloween Horror Nights, Mr. Chris Williams. Chris is our art director. He's our production designer. Um, since 2006, Chris and I conceive everything, uh, all of the houses for Halloween Horror Nights together. We do it as a team. We always have. But working um, with Chris, who's been his right-hand woman um, since the very beginning as well, is Brandy Creason, who's our production design manager. And Brandy and Chris and a staple of really talented production designers from Hollywood films and television, they manage that entire team every year, drawing every single, every single wall and every single house by hand. Um, and their work is invaluable to the success of Halloween Horror Nights. They're, you know, I come up with like, you know, the, the written word, and then they translate it into what it visually looks like. And I'm gonna show you a little bit about what they've been up to lately. Um, we're gonna start with the setting for this house. Um, when we were thinking about where to set this particular house, being that it's a new original house, we wanted to create a really iconic place to kind of ground the house in. So I started doing research, I did endless research, pulled hundreds and hundreds of images, but these two images in particular really stuck with me and this is really what Brandy and Chris really latched onto as well. Um, they're graveyards in Mexico, one's from Guadalajara, one's from Guanajuato. Um, but I really liked in the long kind of rectangular image that Gothic Mexican architecture of that mausoleum. We thought that was a really cool element. And then the other one that I really liked was the idea of these sealed crypts that you see in the other image. Um, so we created this place that we call the Cemetery of the Lost. Um, and the idea here is that this is the place where every one of the victims of these monsters are buried. And it is a forsaken, condemned place that you do not go at night because the weather is always bad. It's always thunder and lightning here. Um, once your relatives are buried there, you never go back to visit them. This is just where they live. Um, this is the elevation, the color elevation for the facade. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I see what you guys say a lot of times, you know, on Twitter and whatnot. And uh, I saw this one guy and he goes, I think that's a mausoleum, right? And this other guy goes, that's impossible. There's no such thing as a two-story mausoleum. <laughs> two-story mausoleum. <laughs> and if you can peek over the fence right now, this is what you'd see. Uh, this is the mausoleum being built right now. This was taken about a week ago. Um, we're just getting into the vine work. But if you look in the front, it looks kind of empty. And it's not going to be empty. There's a lot more coming. Um, this is another piece of inspiration. I love these mourning statues that we found in these cemeteries in Guanajuato and thought that was a really cool element. So I'm going to give you like the down view. This is the ground plan looking down and that's a side elevation of the facade. Um, you see the big 
like above ground crypt with the statue, but you see something else. And this is gonna get back to that piece of key art at the beginning. You see the guy standing there holding a shovel? Okay, we thought it would be cool to create our own original character to add to this mix. And this character would be like the narrator of the experience. He is the caretaker of the cemetery, and when we were trying to conceive what he should look like, um, we were really thinking about like traditional looks for the Grim Reaper. So I pulled all this research, these are just a few of the images. Um, does anybody know what the photograph is? And don't say Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Does anybody know who that actor is? Very famous in a very famous horror movie. Max van Sydow who plays the priest in The Exorcist. This is Max van Sydow back in the 1950s in uh, a foreign film called The Seventh Seal, where he plays death. Um, so we pulled that image. The, then we pulled images from Aztec culture. We pulled images from the Middle Ages. We pulled images from the Renaissance, all different iterations of death, put it into our mind blender, and then came up with this. So this guy actually doesn't have a name. We never like officially named him. In our mind, it's kind of like, those Clint Eastwood spaghetti westerns, you know, like he's always the man with no name who comes to the town and you never know what his real name is. So he's kind of our man with no name, but we were thinking, Chris and I, when we were working on this, we're like, well, that's just gonna get annoying after a while. <laughs> we're gonna be in meetings and they're like, okay, we're talking about wardrobe for the man with no name and we'd have to say that over and over and over again. So we just call him Muerte, which is Spanish for death. And he's gonna be the guy you meet out in front. He's the pre-show, if you will, for this haunted house. He's gonna be telling you the story about these three monsters. Um, and he's designed with an articulated jaw so that the actor wearing the mask can lip sync to track. And you're gonna see he's kind of the bookends of the haunted house as well. So when we came up with this idea for the cemetery, we thought, well, this is cool. This will be like the portal that you go through that transports you to all the world of these different monsters. Um, so this is when you step through that crypt. Again, I want to point out, two-story, two-story. I just feel like I have to validate that guy, because he was right. He like nailed it right out of the gate. So you enter this two-story mausoleum, and there's all these rotting skeletons of all the people that are buried inside that you have to go through. Um, and I kind of snuck a pig the other day. I like the guy in the middle. I'm just like, I'm obsessed with him now. I saw the, these pictures were coming in from the field and I'm like, who's that guy? I'm gonna call him Bruno. Uh, so we, we don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> just like, he's just like, and the guy behind him is just like, hey, let me see. You know, he's just like, no, Bruno. <laughs> Bruno has to look now. Um, so this is the transition and there's bats roosting in the, in the upper niches and there's animation and LED bat eyes. and. And um, as you go through this, you come to the first in a series of crypt paintings. And this is another thing we pulled from our research. Um, this is an old Aztec tomb painting. Um, but we thought it would be really cool if we used artwork, which is the same artwork you guys just saw in the key art, but did it in the style of like crypt paintings that would introduce you to each different area that you're going to. So this is the crypt painting for Talal Hupuchi. And then we also have crypt paintings for the other two monsters as well, La Lechuza and El Subon. And now we're gonna get into their lairs. So we'll start with Talal Hopuchi. Um, and it all goes back to research. That's where all of this begins. So when I was doing research for Talal Hopuchi, I mentioned how she transforms into Talal Hopuchi. 
And um, the specifics of that, and it's very specific, she comes into her house, she sets a big roaring fire in the middle of the floor of the house, she uses, has to use specific wood, specific spices, and then she has to walk back and forth over the fire in the shape of a cross multiple times, back and forth, back and forth, and then when she's done with all of that, she sits on the fire and her legs detach. And then she starts to transform into a bird. So we thought, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so that's what you're going to see in our first scene. It's called Transformation. Um, Chris felt really strongly that he wanted to give each of these environments like their own unique statement or their own unique twist. So Talapucci's lair has these big talon marks, scratches all over the walls, and it's just filled with bird cages. So there's birds everywhere. As you go a little further into Talalopucci's uh, realm, an area we call Los Infantes, or the infants, um, you start discovering these bassinets. Because the one thing I didn't tell you about the Talalopucci is she's very particular. She feeds on blood. And she'll drink anyone's blood if she's desperate enough, but she really, really prefers the blood of an infant. That's like the sweetest tasting blood. So there's all these bassinets, but they're all empty. And there's always a moment in Horror Nights, particularly with these houses. Last year with La Llorona and going back to when we first did it, it was the scene across the river. You know, you guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? When you get to the town and you have to cross the river and there's the kids floating in the water. But I have to tell you how we did that. Because <laughs> it's, it's really weird. Um, the, there's only like two inches of water you know, and that's like pond liner. It's like how you'd make a koi pond in your backyard. Um, so when we first did this, Chris and I were in, Tony, who's our prop master, we were like, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna float these kids? We're like, oh, we'll cut them in half. <laughs> and now this is what I do with my children when, I, when they're misbehaving. Put that down, or you're gonna end up in daddy's maze. Um, so this is a scene where you're walking towards another crib painting of Tlalapuchi and it disappears, and then you'll see. Let's talk about Lala Chusa. So for Lala Chusa's lair, again, it goes back to research, right? When I was doing research, and I have to wonder, like, there's gotta be somebody in IT by now <laughs> that looks at my search history, you know, and it's just like, we got a problem. <laughs> but one of the things I was researching is carnivorous birds' nests. Because there's one thing certain birds do that's really, really messed up. When they kill an animal that they're going to eat, they use their bones to decorate their nest. They like adorn their nest with the bones of their victim. And I thought, that's awesome. <laughs> Lala chooses an owl. She's an owl witch. She must have a nest. So we built her a nest. So this is another color elevation of Lala Chusa's realm, and you see all of those bones. So her nest is made out of all these found objects, twigs, twigs, twigs and twigs, sticks and twigs, and the bones of her victims. And what this really speaks to is another member on our team that we want to appreciate and acknowledge today, Tony Lindis. Tony Lindis is our prop master. He heads up a team of talented men and women, and they come from all different walks, you know, working in the industry, film, television, but they come to Horror Nights and work for us year after year after year to do all the props and dressing in our house. And there is a mountain of it, if you can imagine. And um, a lot of times, Tony's team has to just wholly create things. And this is a good example. So I snuck these pictures from our secret offsite facility that you don't know about. 
And um, I had to crop this picture too, because if I would have left the whole picture, you would have seen like Chucky, and, and you can't see that yet. That's a surprise. Um, but these are the bodies that you see in the nest that Tony and his team had to create. And then you see the, the work they're doing to make these, you know, places where these victims, rotting corpses are being contained. All of that is done by hand. That's all done by our props and dressing team. So give it up for our props and dressing team. But then we had an idea and we were like, well, it'd be really cool. <laughs> If you walked into this house and you just saw this giant La Lechuza, like, eating somebody in her nest. So, we went to some other individuals on our team. Uh, again, I want to point out these individuals on our team because in the last few years, we have been stepping it up on special effects. And this year... Wait till you see what these talented men and women have created. It's insane. Um, David Borning. Heads up our special effects team. And Paul, who's now going to change his name because I can't pronounce it. <laughs> I'm going to try Paul. Paul Vesalakos Long? Is that good? Close? What I love about David and Paul is they want to do more than we ask them to do. Like, did you guys go through Scarecrow last year? Okay. Bird that was eating an eyeball on the table and it was like dangling out of his mouth and it was moving around. That was all of them. Like, I didn't even write that in the, in the treatment, I don't think. They were just like, hey, we can make a bird. And I was like, do it. <laughs> so um, the other individuals that they work with who are, are a massive, massive help to us and are working on this particular piece is our Universal Studios Hollywood Technical Service Department, the mechanical engineers. Um, these people, I... I will give them the bow of, you know, where do you see Chucky? <laughs> I keep saying that, but, and I don't want to show you, I just want you to experience it. Um, but they're doing stuff that I never thought we could do with Horror Nights, like this. So this is a, a video when we were building the La Lechuza. It's like the, the T-1000 ectoskeleton for her. Um, the cardboard is a severed you know, arm slash leg, and you can see it's taking a little bite, and its wings are unfurling. And I think in my treatment when I wrote it, it didn't have any of that. And they were just like, hey, we think we can do this, and they did it. And it's amazing. The only problem is I don't know how I'm going to hide those three guys on set. I have to, like, throw a sheet over them or something. But they're doing amazing work, and we can't wait to share it with you. All right, El Salon. So now, we've kind of been indoors for a long time. We want to break it up. We want to do a big outdoor scene. So for El Saban, we really wanted to take you to a village, because he typically comes and attacks people you know, who are leaving a, a village on the crossroads late at night. So this goes back to research again. As I was doing research, I came across this. Uh, Polcarillas. Does anybody know what that is? Or polke? Yeah. To explain it in like, you know, American terms, like in the Wild West, this would be the equivalent of like a saloon. This would be a place you go for a drink, maybe some food, some dancing, some gambling, and probably a lot of fights, right? Um, polke is an alcohol that's derived from cactus, cacti. Um, what I loved about it is that's what it looks like in its pure state, right? It looks like foamy white milk. And I thought, 
we combined blood. <laughs> there was like blood running and, and foamy white polke running together. That would be really disgusting. Um, so we decided to create our own polkaria. Um, and then next door is the carniceria, the butcher shop. Um, so as you head into this polkaria, we have a scene called polkaria massacre. And basically, Elsaban has come in, and he's just killed every single person in this joint, particularly the womanizers and the drunks. I didn't mention how he kills them, though. This is the tweaked part. If you're a drunk, um, he sucks the alcohol out of their body through their navel. Yeah. I was like, hmm. <laughs> nah. <laughs> With womenizers, he rips them apart limb from limb, literally rips the bones out of their body and adds it to his sack that he has his father's bones in. So this is a dead body. Am I kidding? It really is. Um, this, it's not like it's in my closet or something, as far as you know. Um, no, this is from Body Wars, the touring exhibit that goes around the world. Um, but I needed to know, like, what does a backbone look like? What does a spine look like? Because we wanted to do a scene where Elsa Bond literally rips somebody's spine right out of their back. And that's Elsa Bond. Now, for the finale of this house, after you've gone through all these different layers, we wanted to do something really special. And again, it comes back to research. So I found these, this statue. The statue is in a, believe it or not, it's in, I believe, an Elsa Bond theme park. I'm gonna go to this place. Like, what? It's crazy, but this is—it's—it's it's this huge, towering statue. But when I was looking at it, I thought, "Oh, that's cool," with the bones like spilling out of the sack. Because another thing, Elsa Bond does is, let's say he's walking through your village late at night. He might stop in front of your house. He might sit down that giant sack of bones, and then one at a time, uno, dos. He'll just sit there and count every single bone to make sure he has them all. So we thought, after Elsa Bond has gone through this village and killed like everybody in sight, his sack has got to be pretty big by this point. In fact, it's got to be enormous. And wouldn't it be cool if you had to go in to that sack of bones? And what would you find there? You're just gonna have to wait and see. <laughs> All right, let's do some more Horror Nights appreciation. Patrick McGee, McGee Effects. Patrick is our makeup artist, our creature creator. You know, he goes all the way back, if you remember the Queen Alien from AVP, all of those amazing things, American World from London, that's all Patrick. Um, Patrick has created some amazing stuff for us over the years. I'll share a little bit about what he's creating for this house. Uh, this is the sculpt from Muerte, and again, it has a, a movable jaw so that it can actually lip sync to track. Uh, this is Patrick's sculpt for La Lechuza. And this is his sculpt for El Saban, and he sent me this really cool video, so you can like watch it. And this is the part that trips me out. It's like, I know it has hair, right? You can see it in the rendering. And I'm like, nobody's ever gonna see the back of his head. But Patrick still has to put in all the details because that's the way he is. Um, and then, um, whoa. 
Okay, I know that's the mask. Hmm. I guess you'll have to wait and see. But wait, there's more! Uh, how about another announcement? When you come out of this house, we're going to keep everything going with this theme and take you to a brand new scare zone called El Terror de las Momias. And this is all about inspiration. And the person who supplied the inspiration is Mr. Patrick Quinn. might be one of the only people that I know and work with at Universe Studios Hollywood who's actually worked there longer than me. <laughs> I think Pat started in the park as Woody Woodpecker, I think, as a character back in the day, but he's worked with Horror Nights with Chris and I since the very, very beginning. And um, the way Chris and I always talk about Pat when we try to explain, like, how we work with Pat is we just go, Pat just thinks different. And it's true. Like, he comes up with stuff that Chris and I would never come up with. All of the scare zones in the, in the park. That's not my creative, that's not Chris's creative, that's Pat's creative. So give it up for Pat for all the amazing scare zones he's created over the years. And this is what I mean about Pat's creativity. This is what Pat came to us with. He's like, hey, you know, in the 1950s in Mexico, there was these really specific horror movies they made um, about Aztec mummies. And, you know, there's like mummies fighting wrestlers and mummies fighting evil robots um, but he he wanted to do something with that idea but do our, our Horror Nights original version so that meant that Pat had to create a, like a multiverse of movies that don't actually exist and he did and that brings up another person on our team that needs a lot of uh, love and respect and, and kudos and that is Lucas Kolshaw <laughs> Lucas Kolshaw um, is our lead designer, illustrator, every single one of those character drawings I show you, that's all Lucas's work. He draws all of that. If you guys remember Bride of Frankenstein Lives and all the beautiful book artwork, if you remember Holidays in Hell and all of those amazing postcards, that's all Lucas. He created all of that. So you put Pat together with Lucas and they created a multiverse of movies that don't really exist. And it starts with The Mummy That Couldn't Die. And I love that they did, not only did they do the movie poster, they did the lobby card <laughs> for the movie. And these are going to be used in the scenic, but they're also going to be used in the video that's part of the scare zone as well. So the idea is here that they made this movie, The Mummy That Couldn't Die, and it was a huge hit. And they were really excited to make a sequel. So they made The Mummy versus The Undead Skeletons in classic horror movie tradition. If it succeeds once, make 20 of them. <laughs> and then they got around to make the third film. Get the joke? <laughs> so this was not me, this was Pat. <laughs> Pat's like, I want to call one of them Revenge of the Mummy, which is funny because I created a Revenge of the Mummy, you know, the ride in my previous life years and years ago. So they made Revenge of the Mummy, but by now, you know, the box office is, is it's not doing quite as well as the first movie in the series, but they gave it another go and they did Escape from the Mummy's Crypt. But then, by this point, they've kind of run the, you know, they played out the thread for these mummy movies, and so they decided to go in a different direction, and they did Blood of the Skeleton Queen. 
and they introduced a brand new character, the Skeleton Queen, but the box office wasn't quite there, so they went, you know, that didn't do so well. Let's just bring back the mummy and mash it together and do the mummy versus the Skeleton Queen. <laughs> but that didn't do that well at the box office either. So by the end, they just said, oh, whatever, just a village of the dead, you know, village of the undead. Um, so all of these pieces were created by, you know, Pat's creativity, Lucas's art, um, and there's a concept. Yes, scare zones actually do have a plot, but it's really simple. You got to keep it like really, really simple, like a couple of sentences. So I'll give you my best shot at the plot of this scare zone. So somebody, not naming names, possibly the man with no name, dug up an ancient Aztec burial site or tomb in a village and unwittingly or wittingly released a bunch of us undead Aztec warriors upon the village and they killed everybody in sight and turned all the villagers into the undead and all of this is being preceded over by who other than the skeleton queen who's a stilt walker and uh, that brings up another person on our team and that is Christina Wright Christina Wright is our costume designer, so she works hand-in-hand hand with me and Chris and Pat and Lucas coming up with how we're going to bring all these costumes to light. So here's like the full cast, except Morte. Morte wasn't invited, apparently. He's not in there. Um, but this is all the work that Christina and her team does to produce these hundreds and hundreds of costumes for Ornites. What's next? Project Eggplant. Note to self. Announcement delay. Delete from deck prior to... Oh! Geez. Sorry. Time for another history lesson. 100 years ago, a legacy of horror began. This is 1923. This is a photograph taken on the Universal lot in 1923. The studio in the silent film era undertook possibly the biggest production of its history up until that point. A production that required the construction of massive sets unlike anything they've ever seen built on the lot before, or frankly since, um, including a full-scale replica of a large section of the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris and an entire French village. When the cameras started rolling, the cast was so big that they had to invent the first PA system. That's what you see the director wearing the black hat standing next to so that they could communicate with all of the crew members and all of the actors working on the production. The film starred Lon Chaney Sr., the man of a thousand faces, as Quasimodo, and literally a cast of thousands. In this picture alone, there's 2,500 extras in this film. This is 1923. The film, of course, is The Hunchback of Notre Dame from 1923. And the reason why I'm talking about this and showing you all this is last year, around this time, I started thinking about, wow, next year's going to be the 100th anniversary of Hunchback. And it actually came out in the movie theaters September 6th. So like, right when it's 100 years old, Horror Nights is going to open, right? So it felt like we needed to pay tribute and homage to the films that started a franchise that we know today as the Universal Classic Monsters, right? Because without Hunchback, none of this would have ever happened. 
So, once upon a time in Paris. Paris, the city of light. But underneath her bustling boulevards, her noisy cafes, silence is king and darkness reigns. Sixty feet beneath the city streets of Paris, there is an empire of the dead. The bones of six million Parisianers are buried there in an underground catacomb. But something else is down there too. The Phantom of the Opera. Far beneath the Palace Garnier, better known as the Paris Opera House, in his underground lair, the Phantom is still down there. And he's not alone. There's someone else down there too. Quasimodo, the hunchback of Notre Dame, has literally gone underground. Meanwhile, in London, the local authorities are searching for two doctors who are involved with unethical, illegal experiments. The first doctor is Dr. Jack Griffin, better known as the Invisible Man. The second doctor is Dr. Henry Jekyll, whose experiments have led him to embrace the darker side of his nature, known as Mr. Edward Hyde. We dare welcome you to our world of shadow, knowing soon you will be one of us. <laughs> The Universal Monsters Legacy at Halloween Horror Nights continues with the house we just announced on Friday, I believe. Universal Monsters Unmasked. Uh, this is the fifth, the fifth Universal Monster House that we've done at Horror Nights in Hollywood. Um, and again, it takes uh, appreciation not specifically like a team member of Horror Nights, but somebody I really wanted to recognize today, Crash McCreary. Do you guys, do you guys know who Crash McCreary is? Okay. Crash did the key art that I just showed you, all of those illustrations, right? Crash is a legend in the film industry. He started with Stan Winston years and years ago. He helped design the Terminator. Um, he helped design with Tim Burton, Edward Scissorhands. He helped design movies like Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Jurassic Park films, etc., etc., etc. So Crash works with us to bring the Universal monsters to life, and so he designed one particular, actually two particular monsters um, that he um, really helped us out with, and that is, I'll show you Crash's illustrations here, um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now I know what you're thinking. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde isn't a universal monster movie. Au contraire, it is. Uh, we made a silent version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, like before the studio even came west and became Universal Studios Hollywood. It was what was called a two-reeler in those days. Two reels of film, 26 minutes long, silent film. So we thought, 
we should bring Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and fold him into the Universal Monster family because he was literally the first monster we ever did at Universal. So again, this is an opportunity to do history as horror, which I personally love. Um, and it's all based on real things that happened. Um, this is an old um, 18th century illustration of a cemetery called the Cemetery of the Innocents in Paris. So back in those days, within the city confines of Paris, they were burying people in cemeteries, and then more people would die when you'd have things like the plagues, like the Black Death, the bubonic plague. A whole lot of people died, they just bury them and bury them and bury them and bury them, and they overburied people in the cemeteries inside Paris to the point that some really awful things happened. And these are true, you can actually look it up. I came across it in my research. Literally, imagine you're in a French cafe. I'll sit down for this. Imagine you're having dinner with your wife or your husband or your significant other, and you're in a lovely French cafe, and you're drinking your wine, and you're eating your cheese, and all of a sudden, the wall cracks open, and hundreds of rotting corpses spill into the restaurant. That happened, okay? Sinkholes developed out of the ground, and suddenly there were bodies. So bodies were literally coming out of the ground. They buried so many bodies, retaining walls were breaking, bodies were pouring onto the street, and the king at the time, which was King Louis, you know King Louis, right? He was the one who, in the French Revolution, who got guillotined. Um, king Louis uh, did a declaration, and he said, from now on, we are to bury no people within the city limits of Paris. That's not really practical, you know? <laughs> People are gonna continue to die. So they had to figure out what to do with all these bodies. Now Paris is built over a series of um, limestone mines. It's all the materials that were used to build the beautiful architecture in Paris, that's where it came from. And then once they you know, mined all these things out, they just left them. And underneath the city streets, there are endless, endless miles and miles of these tunnels, of these old mines. Um, to this day, they're not all explored. They don't really know where they all lead. But what they eventually did is they went to the cemeteries late at night, under the cover of darkness, they exhumed the bones, they put them on carts, they covered them with black cloth, they took them to like a, a place where there was an opening that led down to the mine, and they just dumped them. They dumped all those bones down there, six million people. And then later, some people uh, that were a little more artfully minded came down there and arranged the bones into an ossuary. And then in 1870, they opened it to the public for the first time, and that's when our house takes place. So, also under the ground, if you've ever seen the Phantom of the Opera, you know he's on that underground lake and he's rowing his boat and he's singing away. Um, that does exist, this is a picture of it. This is what it actually looks like. There is a subterranean underground lake underneath the Paris Opera House. They still use it today for like fire training, for like search and rescue. Um, and the other thing we found when we were doing Hunchback of Notre Dame and going through all the research, we came across this scene from our silent film where uh, Esmeralda, the gypsy, um, she's taken there for questioning when she's wrongfully accused of a crime she doesn't commit. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Victor Hugo novel, Hunchback of Notre Dame, but I can tell you it's very, very different than the, you know, She Lives Happily Ever After novel or movie, um, Esmeralda in the book uh, doesn't live. She gets hung, you know, for the crime she was confused. And um, yeah, seems like we should do that. <laughs> There's two other pieces of inspiration for this house. Uh, the black and white image you see, that is the Cafe de la Enfer. 
Um, what this was, was essentially the first themed restaurant, believe it or not. It used to exist in Paris. It was a cabaret or a cafe themed to hell, right? And all the waiters dressed up like devils, and it was all themed on the inside. Uh, this existed in Paris up until about the 1950s, and then they demolished it and turned it into a supermarket. I know. And then another thing we pulled together was the Grand Guignol. Do you guys know what the Grand Guignol Theater was in Paris? It was like an underground theater for the rich and famous who loved to come watch shows where they thought people were really being killed on stage, but it was all an act. So we thought, well, if all these monsters are underground, if the Phantom of the Opera is down there and the Hunchback's down there, and Jekyll and Hyde have fled from, or Jekyll and Hyde and um, Dr. Jack Griffin have fled from London so that they can continue their experiments underground where the authorities can't bother them, they ought to have some entertainment. So we thought, well, there should be like a club, like an exclusive club that you can go to down here. Now the setting, now I've seen a lot of speculation on this on the internet as well. You're looking at this facade and you're like, what is that? <laughs> there's a little booth and then there's this big, huge blank thing. Um, what that is, is a giant sized reproduction of an English language French newspaper. And where you see the blank spots, both on the facade where it's a different color and also on that graphic. That's where the illustrations that I just showed you go. It's a whole pre-show we're creating to help tell the story before you go inside. And again, people on the internet, this is a ticket booth, it's a ticket booth, it's not a ticket booth. It's a French newspaper stand. And sitting behind that is an animated skeleton figure that we call Madame Squelette. Squelette is French for skeleton. So we thought, oh, it'd be cool if one of the dead, one of the six million dead that are in these catacombs is actually telling you this story. So that's the voice you heard that I was playing earlier. She's narrating the story, setting it up for you. Lucas's artwork is changing on the newspaper, so we get to do a little bit of a pre-show before you go inside. Now, Madame Squillette also exists as a physical character, but when you're inside the catacombs, she's like back to her mortal state, a character we call the Rat Lady. And the idea is that this is a woman that's down in the catacombs, you know, scouring for any food she can find, so she's literally eating rats. And she has a very advanced case of, um... God, ah, It just left my brain. Smallpox! Thank you. Well, smallpox. Advanced case of smallpox. So, and we just uh, recently filmed her, because she also appears on video. And this is from that. This is like an hour and a half long makeup. It's all prosthetic makeup. And what this speaks to is our show quality and events team. So another recognition we want to give Missy Delgado, who heads up this team. We write all this stuff, then they have to cast it. They have to find the people that are gonna be in our videos, the people that are gonna do our voiceover work. We try as much as possible to pull that right from the people that already work at Universal Studios so we can give them an opportunity to do something different. Um, and then Scott Kleckner, Scott has been with us since the beginning as well. Um, Scott has been in charge of our Scarecter program since the very earliest day of Horror Nights. Um, two other individuals I want to shout out to, Zach Gelwicks. It's, you know, been doing this a long time. <laughs> um, I met Zach, I think, when he was 10. I literally met him in the park at Horror Nights as a fan. And now he's a big part of working with our team and training our actors. And then Brian Asrick, who is our casting director, casting all of our talent now. 
And here's a sneak peek of what's inside. So this is in the catacombs, and we're in the middle of scenic props and dressing, um, but Chris really went for it to recreate that ossuary look. Let's talk about the music. So, God, 10 years ago, yeah, 10 years ago, 2013, I met Slash at Halloween Horror Nights when he came to see our Black Sabbath house. And um, as soon as we came out of the house, he just turned to me and he was like, I want to do this. Like, how can we work together? And so he started doing music for our houses years and years ago. It started with a house called Clowns 3D. And then, as I mentioned, when we started getting into Universal Monsters, Slash has done every single score. So that's now five full scores that he's done. Um, but he works with an individual on our team I want to recognize, and that is Stacy Quinolte. Stacy uh, co-writes everything with Slash, co-writes all the music, arranges it, produces it. So Stacy and Slash, before I was heading out for this, I was like, hey, is, you got a track? You got a track we could share with these people at Midsummer Scream? So we're gonna play you one track from the new score for Universal Monsters Unmasked. It's a track called Silent Screams that features the work of Slash and Stacy Quinolte. Have a listen.
shot of the Bride of Frankenstein's makeup. So it was full prosthetic makeup to get that burned look. It's probably an hour in the chair, a little bit longer. Um, and I was thinking, it's such a shame that nobody got to see that, right? It seems like you should get an opportunity to see that, doesn't it? <laughs> We're going to do a little something. Um, we do, we've been doing more and more of what we call these character interactions. Just like places where you can discover a character where you know, normally wouldn't find one. So keep your eyes peeled this year at Horror Nights, you might just run into the bride. Express passes to Horror Nights, plus I'll take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of one of our houses. Oh, look, they put La Llorona on it. Seems like you should have a chance to see her again, too, huh? You'll see. All right, you ready for this? The question. Shout it out. Let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, green jacket right there. I think green jacket. No, you right there. Yeah. Is it? And the answer is. So there you go, man. John Murdy and Midsummer Scream coming up this week. We will have the last voyage of the Dementor show. We will have uh, Fast Pass with us on the tribute show talking. It'll be a combined thing of both of their haunt season shows going together. Um, their reaction to Midsummer Scream as well. 
and um, actually that show may actually go up next week now that I'm saying because we will have the not scary farm panel next week in front of their event at the end of August so stay tuned for that all of that you know coming up from fast pass with us on the tribute show but yeah man i'm excited about everything coming with hhn this year i'm excited about hhn 32 obviously i'm excited about hollywood i do think that hollywood is better you know in better shape than it's been in the past but i'm not you know i'm still not completely convinced i guess would be the best way to to say how what my thoughts are anyway man thank you for listening hope you enjoy listening hope you enjoy you know all the excitement the hype leading up this month here as we are kicking off haunt season early in only a couple weeks so i'm very excited for you guys stay tuned stay spooky get ready because here we go Did you like that?